ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast. I am Jesse Mayer, your host. The Salty Pastor is all about finding your purpose in life so that you can be the salt in the world. We do this in two basic ways. First, we do a deep dive each Tuesday into a specific passage in the Bible. The more you know, the more you understand the New Testament, the more you will understand your faith. Second, every Thursday, we take the biblical principles found um, in the Bible and then apply them to your everyday life. Our goal is that you get the tools to be able to know the status of the world in which you live the best way you can navigate it. So let's welcome our very own salty pastor himself, Dr. <laughs> Douglas Peak. Greetings. I'm so glad you're joining us today. We are going to be finishing our study on the book of Galatians. And I think it's really great. Chapter six as we wrap it up. And today we're going to be going over chapter six. Um, it's kind of, you know, that last chapter we've yep. been working through. We broke it up into seven parts, even though there's six chapters. I mm-hmm. feel like that's a, a stereotypical pastor move, though. <laughs> can, I, can I make this into more parts than it actually is? <laughs> no, that never happens. That never happens. But it's good. We've, we've taken our time with it, which I think is the best way to, to work through yeah. it. So, yes, 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 um, yes. Paul wrote this letter to the churches in Galatia because he was concerned about um, a group of people who had been persuaded... Um, to leave the essence of their faith, mm-hmm. right? And in doing so, they created a conflict within themselves that had the power to kind of shipwreck their faith. Yes. Um, they, were, they were trying to know Jesus through faith and know Jesus by converting to Judaism and following the law. And Paul says you can't do both. You need to do one or the other. Yes, and the whole letter is how these two approaches are actually opposites of one another. When it really comes down to your soul and how your soul is healed and made whole and the whole whole perspective of how you view your life and live your life. He says they're opposite. He uses a thing in logic called the law of non-contradiction to show you can't do both. So he contrasts the two on and on and on because each approach leads to a different outcome in your life. And that was a big deal. For instance, um, if you say, hey, I want to live as a single bachelor my whole life and I want to just, <laughs> I just want to enjoy, I want to travel, do my own thing. I love my own company. I don't need anything. And then you say, I want to fall in love and be married and have kids and be a family man. And he's like, well, you, you can't do both you can do one for a period and then the other one but you but ultimately you if you set those as your life goals they contradict each other so it goes on and on like that over and over again of how you uh the outcome for what your lifestyle choice ends up being is determined you know you can know what it's going to be by just looking at history, you know, he uses history, use arguments and logic and all these other kinds of things. So that's basically what he's doing in this whole letter. So Paul's been driving this point home in every chapter. <laughs> yes. Uh, how does chapter six conclude his message? What does he say to them now in order to kind of bring home that point? Well, chapter six is where he gives some real practical answers about, okay, you you know, you can't do both. You need to stick with this one that you originally had. And here's some practical ways in which to simply live that out. Okay. That sounds good, but it's a short chapter. Short chapter. Yes. Let's jump into it. See how we should live 
um, in faith each day. So uh, verse one starts with, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the spirit should restore that person gently, but watch yourself or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. So what he's doing here is he's trying to say, you know, how do you live with one another uh, when we're not perfect, right? We're not perfect. We're making mistakes, and we get off track. But at the same time, keep our eye on the goal of living in the Spirit and doing better. How do you do both? Well, in chapter five, we saw how certain lifestyles lead us away from faith in Jesus Christ. And he has this list about sexual immorality and debauchery and orgies and drunk. He has all of these different things, idolatry and malice and hatred. And, and so he says, look, if, if no, there is no religious law to keep people on track, what do we do? So a lot of times what uh, the human beings like is we like to know what are the rules? You know, tell me the rules so I can follow the rules, you know, or some people are like, tell me the rules so, so I can, can break, break the rules. <laughs> feel good about it. And he's saying, well, what if there's no religious laws to keep you on track? What do you do? And he says, okay, all of you in the church, you are a community of people. You know, you're an extended family. You're all on the same team. So if someone succumbs to the pressures of the world, if someone gets influenced by the world, if someone is, is acting in a way contrary to who Christ has made them, which is free, then you need to restore them. So the first thing, the first thing that we see here is that what's the most practical way that you can stay living by faith is hang around people who have the same high goal or standard in life that you do. We want to be these kind of people. And so Paul says in Corinthians, you know, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. So if you have a great goal, you know, you need to hang around people who have that goal. If you want to be in shape and you want to be an athlete, then you're probably going to hang around with athletic people who like the gym. You know, you're not going to be hanging around bakers who sample the stuff they cook every single day. Right. So so that just makes total sense. And he says he goes. Now, the thing is, is that when we do, though, have to restore somebody, it's really important that we're careful. And he says, we, you got to be careful first so that it doesn't influence you. But second of all, you got to be careful to do it gently. And so if someone succumbs to the pressure of the world, gently restore them. Now, the two critical components here say a lot. Restoration shows our intent. Our goal is to restore people to spiritual health. We want to restore them to living by faith. So the church, I think, needs to avoid using the world's techniques of shame and guilt you know, what we need to do, though, is we need to find out how we can bring in the good things like accountability and wholeness and health and freedom and new identity and healing and all these types of things. You know, this is really important for guys, you know, because because guys are like, you know, um, they're trying to be guys, guys. And so we, we have to be uh, masculine and healthy in the way we restore guys and get them on track. Gentleness shows respect. Gentleness is all about 
I'm respecting you, the person who has succumbed to the pressures. And I don't see you as my enemy at all. I see what the world has done to you as the enemy. I see how you're being influenced by the evil one. That's the enemy. You know, our, our enemy is not people. It's, it's not flesh and blood. It's the rulers and powers and principalities of this present darkness. And so we have to remember that is that human beings. Now, sometimes you have a person who's done something and they, you have to deal with that and you have to protect the flock. You have to, if, if they're not interested in healing or wholeness, if they're not interested in being restored, well, that's a different question. But our initial intent, he says, if we just want to live out everyday life, let's be people who care enough about each other to have a high bar, high expectations, but let's love each other enough to encourage each other, stimulate each other in love, with gen- which is gentleness towards this high bar. So, so instead of relying on a law to judge people, we're to restore them to spiritual health. Mm-hmm. So when we carry one another's burdens, we're fulfilling the law of Christ. Yes, we are. And that's what he's saying. You know, if you need a law to follow, I mean, if you guys, he's saying to them, you know, if laws are such a big deal to you, then follow the law of love, <laughs> you know, <laughs> make that your law. Uh, this is why knowing the uh, the actual true spiritual burdens people carry is critical to helping them carry them. See, this is really an important principle. And that is, is sometimes we look at people and we go, oh, you're poor. That's your burden. I'll alleviate your burden. I'll give you money. Well, okay. Is that really their burden? You see, or is their burden something deeper and spiritual, you know, and that is, well, are they poor because they grew up in Haiti and they have no access to education, food or job or anything? Okay, that's a that's a bear that burden, bear their burden, help them carry their burden by providing those things. That's what Foothills does. You know, we were very involved in ministry uh, down there, over 40 churches with 35 schools. They educate over 5000 children. We have an orphanage. We have a farm. We do all these kinds of things. Right. That's helping them carry that burden. But you come here to America and then, well, the reason this person is is broke is because they have an addiction to methamphetamine. And if you give them cash, they take that and buy more meth. So, okay, you're not helping them carry their burden. You're enabling their burden. Right. So, so Paul's not just trying to make a blanket statement. He wants us to understand how to love people and love them properly. And so I, I think that's what it means is when we help people carry their burdens, we need to understand the authentic burden and the spiritual component to that burden in order to actually help them carry them. You don't want to do the wrong thing. You always want to do the right thing. So it seems like verses three and four talk about what we can in, uh, what can interfere with that law of Christ. Um, verse three says, "If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else." Verse five continues on, "For each one should carry their own lore, load." 
Uh, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. <laughs> now, it, it's really interesting here. He says, look, here are three things that get in your way of helping people carry their burdens and being a, a community of faith with high standards. You know, there should be high standards. The highest standard of all is love. We should always be pursuing a more authentic, a more powerful hope-filled, encouraging, inspiring love that brings joy to people as they discover their freedom in Christ, right? So that's what we want to do. Is That's our highest aim. We should not ever leave that goal. And he then says, look, there's three things that are going to stop you from keeping that goal of love and encouraging other people and helping other people achieve that goal while you focus on it yourself, okay? He says three basic things. He goes, the first one is conceit. And the issue of conceit here is you, uh, are, you believe you are something you are not. And so this is a question of identity. And I hear this all the time. And I predominantly hear it. This is going to shock everybody, but I predominantly hear it in people who feel they are victims or they have a habitual sin that they cannot break. Hmm. That's where I hear it the most from is this conceit. And what I mean is because most people think, well, conceited is you walk around like a pompous peacock and you think you're the greatest thing that ever was, you know, created on the face of the earth. No, that's just narcissism. Conceit is believing something you are not. And that's about an identity. And so so some people, um, you know, they they come in. It's like, why did something bad happen? It's horrible, tragic. Uh, and the list I, I've personally been involved with people working towards healing and all this stuff. Um, and I've also, uh, read the research on it. And, you know, a lot of the questions are, why did this thing happen to me? God must not love me uh, or God's not just. And so they believe a lot of falsehoods that just perpetuate their sense of, uh, I, I have no control over this. I'll never heal. I'll never be whole. Um, uh, oftentimes this is where it really comes out too, is I'll meet guys and they'll ask me, why can't I find a, a good woman? You know, I want to get married. I can't find a good woman, but all the girls I go out with are so trashy. I'm so attracted to trashy girls. And I guess just, that's just what I like. And I'm like, okay, that's a lie that you believe. And, uh, you know, I say it's probably because you believe love is sex. And so you first thing you try to do is have sex. And then they say, well, I'm a, I'll die if I don't have sex. And I'm like, that's a lie. <laughs> <laughs> I hate to tell you this. It's not preferable, but if you're a man, you can actually live until you're 90 and never have sex. That's not what the culture <laughs> says, Pastor Doug. That can't be true. That cannot be true. Now, the thing you can't live without is water. <laughs> you will die if you don't drink <laughs> water or some get water in some form. And if you don't eat food, you will die. If you don't have air, you know, you will die. I know you think you'll die, <laughs> but... When you believe a lot, see, so conceit works that way. Um, when you have habitual sins, you know, I've had people tell me, you know, well, you know, I, I've tried, I can't break it. It's just who I am. And I'm like, no, I'm, that's not who you are. You believe a falsehood. Uh, so, so it comes out in all these different ways. The second way that he says 
we are going to hinder our capacity to be a loving community, high standard of love and encourage other people towards that is when you compare yourself to others, right? It's comparison. It's like, well, I'm not doing as good as that person, you know, and I'm not, you know, uh, as faith filled as that person, or I'm not as strong as that person, or I'm not as good looking or as attractive or have as good a personality or, or I'm not as successful as a guy, or I haven't achieved as much and blah, 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 blah. And he says, look, the worst thing to do is measure your own growth and faith with anyone else. The, the thing is you have to understand Jesus Christ came to save you. So he's working in you each and every day. What he's doing in you or me or somebody else is irrelevant to my relationship with Jesus Christ. The most important thing that you can do is get up and say, where was I yesterday? And where do I want to be today? Right. See that. And and you can take it. This is what's really interesting. He says, you can feel good about that. You can actually take pride in yourself that you're growing in your faith. So don't compare yourself to anybody else. And then here's something I find fascinating. I don't know why he put it in there, but he did. He says, you know, the third thing that undermines the community, keeping a high standard of love and us restoring people and being a place of health and vibrancy is not supporting the ministry fiscally, which I find really interesting. And I think what this is, is that he says, look, when you strip it all away, Here's the bottom line is that you, you invest your money, you give your money uh, to what you love. And Jesus said it this way in uh, Matthew chapter five or six, wherever chapter six, wherever your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And so he's saying, do you want to be a part of a community of faith, a church that's really healthy? It has a high standard of love and you want to be able to grow and be inspired. And he says, that's it. He goes, you need, if you are receiving instruction from your church, you in the word of God and how to do this, you should be sharing all good things, physical things, fiscally, as well as encouragement with those who are leading you. So if we conceit, comparing yourself to others and not supporting the ministry are three things that get in the way of vibrant, healthy, exciting, dynamic movements of God called the church. Well, and it's fascinating that he wraps all that up yeah. in just four verses. <laughs> yeah, he goes, like that. Boom, 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 boom. They're rapid fire, which I mean, I think that's why it's important. And part of the reason I love the Tuesday portions is we really deep dive into these things that, yes. you know, passively us reading, I probably would not have seen those major points, which is part of the reason you're here is you're supposed to be uncovering <laughs> these things. But it's the fact that, he, you know, Paul conveyed so much in so little where it's like yeah. we could, you know, we've spent almost eight minutes breaking down mm -hmm. those words. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I think that's why these Tuesdays are so important. It's easy to kind of get excited about the Thursday stuff because that's the most modern and it applies to us right here yes. and now. People but, love Thursday. But I think the Tuesday stuff's really important. Too, it is because so. it's a foundation of what, what we do on Thursday comes from. Yeah. So let's dig into the next section um, because I think it's going to make more sense now that we've gone over this previous verse. Yes. Um, verse seven goes on and says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whatever, whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. 
Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, see what he's doing here is he's saying some really good things, and he's returning to the message that he shared back in chapter 5, where he connects... Uh, these practical things to the law of love. You know, back there he says, look, the spirit and the flesh, when we use these categories, are kind of in conflict with each other, you know, and you have to understand that. And you have to understand that, that your body is not evil. Your body is not wrong. That's not the point he's making. What he's saying, though, is that your body is wired a certain way. Okay, in that certain way can condition it towards the spirit or towards the flesh. You can do either way. It's like this. Um, uh, somebody uh, has an injury or something, you know, and then they, they were in shape. They're playing football or they're doing something, you know, and then they get an injury, you know, like a knee injury or whatever, and they have to rehab it. And, and so uh, for the next, like, you know, two or three months, they're on the couch and they just really start liking uh, Totino's and potato chips and beer and donuts and man you it helps you take naps when you eat all those yeah, sugars and carbs. We should record and, this before lunch. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, so what happens is at the end of that three months right your body is like man I just want to lay I just want to sleep here you know they get it off I just want to lay here I'm so tired I don't want to do anything your body's been conditioned by that so what you know an athlete says what an athlete says yeah I'm not listening to my body right now but once that body gets back in shape, right, then does the athlete listen to his body? Yeah. Yes. See, that, that's what Paul is talking about. He's not trying to say that your flesh is evil. He's just simply saying is that it operates kind of in this thing of conditioning. And this is why, why one of the biggest difficulties for people and young people today is the sexualization of their bodies. And so what our culture tries to do is get is to arouse them constantly. And what they're trying to do is arouse them sexually. And this is why California's passed a new and we'll talk hopefully we'll talk about more on this, which I think it's reprehensible and this is a a uh, sex education where they're trying to get kids in the kindergarten and first grade to identify their genders and all this kind of stuff. And they're they're introducing confusion up front so that when they hit arousals, then their minds will interpret that arousal right see that's how it, that's how it works it works across the board why do you think a, a uh i'm gonna be really be really salty here and start ranting but why do you think drug dealers put drugs in candy and goes to an elementary school does an elementary school kid have any money to buy drugs no, no. they're not okay however as they get older and they have money and they're in a place where they don't feel good or they're stressed out or whatever, they'll go to that guy. There's an addiction. The body has been set. And the guy says, well, here you buy this candy. And then after a while he says, well, I'll tell you what, it's not the candy. It's the drug that's in it. And then they just up them. They do this all the time. And so that's how they hook people. It's the same thing with pornography for guys. It's the same thing with drinking. I mean, it just goes on and on and on of how the world operates because the world understands that the body is wired a certain way. And that's all Paul's trying to do. And he says, therefore, uh, we have to realize is that our choices have outcomes. 
Our choices have outcomes. Don't be deceived. You, you're not going to mock God's natural law. If you don't understand your body and what it is and how it operates, you're going to be easily deceived and you're going to try to go against God's natural law. And so the bottom line is we must invest ourselves. And he says this over here. We must not become weary in doing good for God for at the proper time, we will reap the harvest if we don't go weary. And this is what I talked about earlier. And that is we must invest ourselves in our mind, thinking and believing the good truths. I'm free. I'm not in bondage because Christ died to set me free. I'm not in bondage to these things. I don't, my actions, my behaviors, I'm going to do things to get my body in shape so that I don't listen to it. Right. And so you know, I, I, I've had guys in the past, you know, come in and talk about how, well, you know, I have to travel for work and, you know, the guys after work, they want to go to a strip club and stuff like that. And so I have to go because, and I'm like, what do you, what do you think you're doing? You know, in your brain, you might say to yourself, oh, it doesn't matter. I love my wife and kids, but you're conditioning your body to be stimulated and aroused by that. And so what's your body going to, your actions are going to start affecting your what? Your beliefs. Right. See, and then over time, you're going to think, well, maybe it's not so bad. You know, it doesn't mean anything. And so your mind, your actions, and then ultimately your attitude. Because then, then you become a person you don't like. You don't like yourself. You know, if you're laying on the couch eating, you know, donuts and potato chips and, and drinking beer and you look at yourself and then you just have this self-contempt. It's just like, ugh. most people just live there and then they go eat or drink more so that they'll forget about how much they don't like themselves. And so it's really important to realize you need to be in a community. And you need to be around people who have high standards of love. They're not perfect, but they're like, we're going to encourage you. We're going to encourage you. You know, Weight Watchers is a, a is a hundred millions of dollars of business a year just simply on that concept. And that is go to a meeting and hang around other people who are trying to accomplish the same thing. Right. <laughs> right. You go to a meeting and you encourage each other. You've been a, AA has got millions of people into sobriety simply by getting around in a community with other people because the more we invest ourselves in our church and our community our mind our actions and our attitudes can be invested in the good things that we will reap the harvest and that's why he says in every opportunity you have do good to all people every opportunity the more good you do the more good things you believe the better your attitude is the more harvest you're going to reap in your life and not grow weary and not don't grow weary just keep doing it so it seems the rest of the chapter is kind of a closing out of this letter so let me read that uh verse 11 see what large letters i use as i write to you with my own hand those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised the only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, to the Israel of God, 
from now on, let no one cause me troubles for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> well, here's what's really interesting. He says in 15, circumcision and uncircumcision is irrelevant. doesn't mean anything. What matters is the new creation. And this is that identity stuff that we talked about is that, you, you know, it's for freedom that Christ has set you free. So do you know who you are in Christ? That's a really big thing. And then here's something else. He says, look, look, let no one cause me trouble. This is Paul's way of saying, shut up. Just shut up. I'm sick and tired of your gritching about me. My dad used to say that all the time. Quit your gritching. And so he's just saying, shut up, quit your gritching because I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. You know, Paul, he was stoned. He was whipped. He was, I mean, you just name it. He suffered it. And so he's not joking. He says, I'm tired of these guys dragging my name through the mud. So I'm kind of like, you go, Paul. I'm with you, bro. (laughs) And then he, he, and look at him. He says, the reference, uh, see, look at the large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. Now, a lot of the letters that Paul wrote, he actually dictated in a scribe. He'd pay a scribe to write them out. And here we see Paul saying, I'm writing you with my own hand. And he says, I have to use large letters. So in other words, he's saying a couple things going, number one, this is expensive. Because I'm not squeezing it in, you know, paper and ink and these things, you know, a sheet of paper to write on was exorbitantly expensive. Right. And so he's saying, this is really expensive, what I'm doing here for you. But number two is it gives us a clue to the infirmity that Paul had throughout his life. A lot of scholars believe that the thorn in the flesh in first or second Corinthians that he talks about, he says, I prayed that the Lord would take this away and he wouldn't do it because his grace is sufficient for me. I need to learn to live in grace is his eyesight. His eyesight was failing. And so he had to write big so that he could see what he was writing, you know? Mm. So maybe he had, you know, some form of glaucoma or something going on, some type of onset blindness or whatever may be the case when he wrote this. And so what he does though, in these final statements here in verses 11 through 18, is he basically reinforces all the rules that he just said, live for a greater purpose. Let that be Jesus Christ. Avoid the world's pressuring you to conform to it. These people are just trying to conform you so they can boast about you're just a notch on their belt. Okay. Number three, search for authentic truth. Find someone willing to tell you the truth. Someone who's willing to say, this is what the world is trying to do to you. Avoid the world's pressuring you to conform. He goes, number four, know the difference between justification by faith and justification by law. I call this, do you believe in Jesus? Are you a DIYer when it comes to your soul? Uh, Set the goal to live by faith. You should always try to live by faith first because in the end, that's the best route to where you want to go. It's the best route to get to what you want in life. It's the best route to meaning and purpose and quenching the thirst of your soul. It lets men be men and women be women. It makes families healthy. It makes community strong. Uh, Live free. You know, once you understand I'm justified by faith, I now know why Christ through faith has set me free. You see, and I want to live that way because that's who I am now. And then today be in a church community because it's only in community where you can find all this happen and live in and out. 
Well, I think that's been a, a great study of this book. Um, we're yes. going to talk a little bit more on Thursday about how this relates to us in our current culture. Um, mm-hmm. But I've just really enjoyed Galatians, um, especially this new spin you've given us with these rules and reinforcing what Paul's talking about. So, um, And we appreciate you guys joining us here on the podcast. Thank you guys so much. Make sure you leave yeah. a, a review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe. We're almost there to the 1,000, and then we'll leave you alone about it. <laughs> well, at least for five minutes. At least for five minutes. <laughs> but... Uh, just uh, make sure you're sharing this with friends. There's somebody out there that needs to hear what we're talking about, that mm-hmm. this will really reach their heart. And um, and this can be a place where people can, even if, even if you're in a vulnerable population, you have to be locked down, you can't go out, you can grow spiritually. You know, I mean, it's just a great, uh, I feel it's just a really great pace. You know, you can listen to it on Tuesday or Wednesday, then you listen to something on Thursday or Friday, and then you have Sunday. Right. You know, and it's just like, wow, I'm getting reinforcement. And I just want you folks to know we do this because we care about you and also because we believe listening to cable news all day long and all night is never going to feed your soul. It's just going to, you know, drive you crazy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> so fill your soul with something that's going to actually yes. give you some. Yes, fill it with Jesus. He's the only one who can quench the thirst of your soul. Thank you guys so much for joining us and we'll see you on Thursday.